Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, our amazing Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been overwhelmed this morning by rehearsing the immensity of your glory and the awesomeness, the depth of your grace to us. And so, our Father, this morning, I, I ask that you would, um, that, that as the call goes out from that song uh, that Rachel just shared, that we might gather around the Word of God and see what the Lord has done, the immensity of His love for us. Our Father, I pray that um, our faith may be buoyed up today. Our confidence might be anchored fresh in the truths of your word and that the splendor of this Christmas story would attach itself to our hearts so firmly that we would go into our world of uncertainty and tragedy and frustration and pain and hurt with a confidence that cannot be shaken because we have found the truth. We have found the Lord and He is Jesus the Christ. And we praise Him. We love Him. We adore Him. We offer our gifts to Him. We offer our hearts to Him. We renew our commitment to Him, O Lord. Because you are good. Your mercies endure forever. Your compassion is without competition. And, O oh Lord, we pray now this morning that you would imprint your word into our hearts, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, Christmas, the Christmas story may be the only story known to man where people are satisfied with one act and then they move on with their lives. Sort of a drive-by look at the manger, the baby God, all is well and move on to the next party. I, I can't think of any other story or great story of the Christmas season that we do that with. Can you imagine doing that with the Dickens Christmas Carol? Now Marley was dead these seven odd years. That's good. That's fine. I'm good with that. Let's move on to something else. We, we, we wouldn't do that. We would miss the uh, immensity of the moral of that story. And quite honestly, it, would, it seems to me that all around us, and we may be guilty of this ourselves, all around us are people who take a passing glance at scene one of Jesus and that's all they have that's all they want that's all they think they need I would like to take us a little deeper into the reality of Christmas this morning I would like to take us in a journey to investigate the most important question of Christmas 
I would, take, I would like to take us a little further along to the time where the baby God grew up and was able to talk for himself, to share with you what he had to say about Christmas. And in order to do that, we need to move a long way into the book of John, further than we would expect to go on a Christmas Sunday morning. I want to go to John chapter 18 and key on a verse, verse 37 this morning. It was uh, about 30 years or so after the manger story, the scene of the manger. Jesus is being interrogated by a Roman prefect by the name of Pilate. Many of you are familiar with this. Pilate himself was trying to understand the whole Jesus deal. And there were three sentences in this verse that summarize the Christmas reality for us. And in a time like the one we live in, which is filled with uncertainties, and wherein we live with a generation that has given up on truth in favor of feelings, I want to share with you this Christmas Sunday what Jesus said about Christmas and its impact in our lives and in the lives of, our, of the people of our world. If you are looking in your Bibles, you will notice that Pilate says to him, you are a king then? And Jesus answered him this way, you say correctly that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Christmas, I would submit to you, calls us back to be certain about truth in an uncertain world. And there are three key things that I want to look at this morning, but I have four points, if that makes any sense to you. Three key things. The first is this. In this description, Jesus talks about the way in which he was born. And he uses phraseology that, that implies an unusual birth. He talks about coming into this world. He came into this world, in other words, from another world. And there was an exchange that went on before the verse that I gave to you with Pilate. Pilate says to him, am I, I a Jew? Verse 35, it was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And Jesus said this, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. And that's the backdrop where he establishes that I came from my kingdom. My kingdom is the kingdom of the universe. I came from another place. The way in which Christ was born, unusual, as Jesus describes it here. He also talks about in this text the reason he was born, the reason Christ was born, and it's simply to testify to the truth. And then the right response to the reason Christ was born, in which he says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So in this one verse is packaged an immense Christological uh, 
reality about the whole Christmas event. Christmas puts, according to Jesus here, Christmas puts belief and unbelief dramatically before us in a measurable way. And uh, it forces us at least once a year and forces our, our world once a year to be confronted with the most important question that Christmas puts before us, and that is this. Are you on the side of truth? That's the critical question of life. Are you on the side of truth? And there's a measurement to that. We're going to look at that as we, as we dig a little bit deeper. Because from the lips of Jesus himself, that's the whole point of Christmas as he describes it. Here's the truth as, that Jesus testifies to. And so I want to share with you uh, four thoughts that sort of grow out of, out of these points um, from this verse. As, as you see, Jesus claims to be of a kingdom, not of this world. In other words, he makes a declaration that yes, he is a king, while Pilate interrogates him. And he's a, a particular king in the sense that he is named Emmanuel, God with us. So we, we have here in this first picture uh, and testimony of Christ himself uh, that the Bible teaches us that there is one God expressed in three persons. And as we understand the theology of Christmas, the theology of the Godhead, the simple truth that I first of all want to point out to you is this, that if God became a man, he would be Jesus. And why do I say that? Why do I want to convince you of that? Well, in the scriptures themselves, and we're going to spend most of our time in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1 verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it says in the second verse that everything that was created was created by the Word of God. And then in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this word that dwelt among us, according to the prophets, was to be born in Bethlehem. And his origins would be of old, of ancient times. We discussed this two weeks ago. And we have this baby who was born in Bethlehem historically fulfilling the prophecy. He was born to a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 declared prophetically that the Messiah would come and be born of a virgin. Even in Micah, it was declared that she who is in labor gives birth. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, we are told there a child is born, a son is given. And as the first eyewitnesses to the Christmas event gazed into the feeding trough of animals. They were gazing at the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Uh, those who, who, who were eyewitnesses to that, that baby God that night in that manger were peering into the glory of God Himself. And so, uh, in John chapter eight, uh, 1, verse 18, 
John declares there that no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Uh, in John chapter 8, verses 56 to 59, uh, the priests and the scribes were gathering around Jesus and remarking and marveling at the fact that he could know so many amazing things at his young age of 30. And he said to them, before Abraham was, I am. And you have this angel, angel uh, declaration that he would be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's God work, folks. Uh, that, that's that's a, a, a characteristic, uh, a distinct and unique characteristic of the God of the scriptures, the God of the universe. He is described as a saving God from the beginning of the scriptures throughout. This is the unique characteristic. You can look at all of the other gods that have been manufactured by human uh, nature in the world, but only the God of the Bible, the God of the universe... The God who is described in the scriptures is a saving God. And to name, Jesus, to name this one Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, who will save his people from their sins, he is being declared by the angel uh, declaration uh, to do God work. And then um, in uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6, it states there, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says... Let all God's angels worship Him. Now, I'm not sure how that impacts you or how that hits you, but it should hit you with a, like a wow because God will not share His glory or His worship with anyone but Himself. And for God to make this declaration that the Son of God is to be worshipped is a declaration by the God of heaven that in fact the Son of God is very God. So you have all of these prophecies, all of these descriptions coming together to reveal to us the kingship and lordship of this baby God, this Jesus. If God became a man, he would be Jesus. There's a second aspect that I want to point out this morning to what Jesus testifies to here. He says he testifies to truth. I want to submit to you this morning, actually I'd rather declare to you this morning than submit it to you, that Jesus is God's version of the truth. I think this is a critical point for us living in our day and age, living in our culture today, because when we think of the three great monotheistic religions, and by monotheistic religions, I mean those religions that declare there is one God. And the three great religions of our world that do make that declaration are Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And we have all of these religions making a declaration that they have a version of the truth. But at the same time, all of them are making a declaration that there is one God. Now, I want to submit something to you on the basis of sheer logic this morning, and then we want to look at what's more important, which is theology. But on the basis of sheer logic, if there is one God, 
there can only be one version of truth. And the one divine version of truth that is presented in the scriptures is reliant on the fact that if Jesus is that God, then Jesus must be God's version of the truth. Because of those three great religions, two of them do a real quick drive by the manger and refuse to acknowledge that the baby of the manger, the Christmas story, is the divine son of God. So, in terms of logic, we have two of the great monotheistic religions of the world declaring a different version of truth. So, let's not be confused or lack certainty as we mingle in our culture about the nature of the three great religions. They can't all be describing the truth. And so we have to make a decision on which version of truth is actually God's version of truth. The God. The one God. And by the way, since all of those religions agree that there is one God, then we can all agree in the room this morning that He is without competition. Therefore, God is offering to us one truth and one product, one reality. God, therefore, does not have to be a salesman because there are no competing products. When, when we go to the store to buy Christmas presents, we are met with salespeople. And the reason that we're met with salespeople is there's a plethora of products. And the people in the Apple store, they want you to buy Apple. And so they have to compete. Is there any competition? They have to compete with the other technological products that are out there. And so salesmen may exaggerate the product's abilities. They may uh, downright lie. Uh, salesmen may promise high and deliver low. Um, salesmen may use bait and switch. But the, the God of heaven has no competition. Therefore, he has no reason to lie to us, no reason to, to speak the words of a competitor. So God simply declares a version, the version of truth, and leaves it there. And Jesus states the very same thing when he says in John chapter 12, verse 49, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. Now, this is very, very specific. Every detail. In other words, Jesus is stating that every detail and how those details are expressed, Jesus guarantees, are from the very lips of the Father. And what's more particularly critical for us as we move through that text is to notice that in verse 50, he states here, 
that I know that this command, his, I know that his command leads to eternal life. So I, I want to um, submit to you this morning that there is no such thing as multi-faith. To go to a multi-faith event means you are going to an idol convention because there is only one God and there is only one version of truth and that version of truth is Jesus Christ and any so-called faith that bypasses or ignores or rejects Jesus Christ is rejecting the only version of truth that exists in the universe about the one God. The Word of God itself says there is one Spirit, there is one Lord, there is one faith, there is one baptism, one God and Father of all, one hope, Jesus Christ. So diversity of religions does not enrich a society like we have been told. It actually falsifies it. And if we are unwilling to exclusively understand the nature of one version of truth, we will lose our zeal and our passion for outreach, which is the satanic agenda. If we are led to believe that others of other faiths may be somewhat misguided, but in the end are all journeying toward the same thing, we will lose our passion to reach them for the, for the truth, reach them with the truth. Make no mistake about it. Jesus Christ is God's version of the truth. There's a, a third idea that I would like to present to you as a, coming from Jesus' testimony and it has to do with his statement about listening to him. Uh, we encounter a lot of people who would probably, or you probably have counted, uh, met a lot of people who say, I find all this religious stuff tedious and confusing and complicated. I, I'm good with the fact that I just believe there's a God. Isn't that good enough? Uh, according to what Jesus states here in terms of the reality of Christmas, the answer is no, that's not good enough. You cannot have God the Father if you reject God the Son. That's, that's the implications. That's what Jesus is stating by this declaration that he makes that everyone on the side of truth listens to me. It is simply impossible to have God the Father if you reject the message of Jesus Christ, if you refuse to listen to Jesus Christ. Here's the truth as Matthew, Mark, and Luke portrayed it. Uh, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus went hiking one day. And during their hike, all of a sudden, we are told in the Scriptures that Jesus' garments became brilliantly white. In fact, it states there 
they were whiter than any human has ever been able to bleach anything, any clothing. So it's impossible for any of us here to have seen how white Jesus' garments were. And the reason his garments became white on this occasion, a brilliant white, is because the glory of God that was packaged within the incarnate Christ, the Word dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory. The glory of God was oozing out of Jesus so that Peter, James, and John were getting a glimpse of what was inside of Jesus, who he was, very God. And at that moment, it tells us that there was a voice from heaven, and that voice from heaven said, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. And then it says this, listen to him. From the mouth of God the Father, there is a statement made from heaven itself to Peter, James, and John that God's will is that people would listen to his son. Jesus then states the same thing later on in John chapter 18. In, John, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 23, it says there that no one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Hearing the truth, but rejecting it by not keeping it will leave you rejected by God. Because the words and the ways of Jesus are the words and the way of the Father in heaven himself. So if you are on the side of truth, you won't seek in your life to try and explain it away. You won't seek to ignore it. You won't seek to justify why you are living in opposition to the truth. If you are on the side of truth, and this is the statement of Christmas, you will actually make your life purpose about listening to Jesus and following his words and his teaching. There was a group of Jews who it says in the text, and this is in John chapter 8, it says actually in the text who believed him. But they were arguing with him about who he really was. And they were making the statement that they should be accepted because they believe God. And, and they said, God is our father. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father... You would love me. Friends, you cannot have God the Father if you reject God the Son, Jesus Christ. Any love that we have for people who are lost, who claim to believe in God, but do not listen to the words of Jesus, do not follow Christ, we do them an unloving disservice by leaving them believe in their false security that they believe in God. Because Jesus is God 
very God, and presents to us the version of the only version of God's truth. So finally, and this may not seem to matter to you today, but it will matter to you someday, because it says in the Word of God that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And I'm convinced on how Christ presented this, that at the judgment, we will be asked a question. And the question will be this. Did you listen to Jesus? Because if you didn't listen to Jesus, you weren't on the side of truth. And if you aren't on the side of truth, you're not on the side of Jesus. If you're not on the side of Jesus, you're not on the side of God the Father. And so this presentation, if you don't have Jesus, you can't have eternal life. The real truth about Christmas is, is played out for us here. It's presented to us here. The real truth of Christmas is this. It makes no room for pretenders. And as it turns out, pretenders make no room for Christmas. Jesus alone brings the hope of transformation now so that there will be no condemnation later. If you are still in John chapter 12, in verse 46, it states this. Jesus said, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. There's this great text in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. And most of you know it. It is the perhaps most exclusive text with respect to salvation in all of Scripture. It is a definitive declaration that has no wiggle room. And it says this, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among mankind by which we must be saved. This is the message of Christmas. This is why Jesus stated he came. He came to testify. He came to demonstrate to all of us the immensity of the love of God. Our God is a God who reveals truth. Our God is a God who reveals himself to us. Our God left heaven to take on human flesh to ensure that he could, would tell us the truth, that humans would know the truth, they would hear the truth. And sadly, in this John 12 text, there's sort of three responses. The first response is from those, it says, who believed in him, verse 42, but they would not confess their faith. And it says, for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved praise from men more than praise from God. Friend, are you there? Does that describe you? That you hide all of this glory and all of this pure gold reality about Jesus Christ inside of you for fear of being rejected by people rather than enjoying the praise of God? I don't really know where that leaves you. I don't know where it really leaves them. 
They would not confess their faith because in the Bible it says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, that Christ is, uh, God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. The second response here is verse 47. They heard Jesus' words but did not keep them. They did not keep his words because they preferred convenience to truth. Let's be honest. A lot of what Jesus says is inconvenient. They preferred convenience to truth. And then there are those that rejected him in verse 48. They just didn't accept his words because they wanted to trust in their feelings rather than the truth. If you are choosing today to live in sin, you are choosing to not listen to Jesus. You are choosing to not be on the side of truth. You are choosing against Jesus. Because it says from the very lips of God himself who came to earth to be among us that everyone who is on the side of truth listens to Jesus. Friends, once a year at least, this inconvenient truth presents itself to our world. It presents us, uh, itself to the plethora of faiths and holds up one version of truth. And God in heaven makes it a watershed in the lives of all of mankind you are either on the side of truth or you are on the side of lies. There's no middle ground. There's no close. You're either on the side of truth or you're on the side of lies. And today, the question is put before you, the most important question that you will ever answer on this Christmas Sunday. Can you say, yes, Pastor? I am definitely on the side of truth because my life is about listening to Jesus. Or pastor, I don't know, never heard that before. Or I've heard it, but I've never thought about it. The question is put to you this morning. Only those who listen to Jesus and put his words into practice in their life have eternal life our father this profound event called the incarnation Christmas where God clothed himself in flesh and dwelt among us presents to us a moment of decision and then a lifetime of decision. Oh God, I pray this morning 
that by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit who is among us and active, would you visit all of our hearts with honesty with respect to this question on this day, December 20th, 2015. Jesus came into this world and was born to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to Jesus. To this we give you our praise and our honor and our, our glory. We thank you, Father, that all praise, honor, and glory belong to you. And we are grateful that you love us. For Jesus' sake, amen. The story of Christmas is this, that the one true loving God came to this planet to rescue, to save people by telling us the truth. Not selling us anything. Not confusing us. But telling us the straight truth. If you are on the side of truth this morning, it's measurable. You listen to Jesus and you follow his words. Maybe you're here this morning you say, I want to be on the side of truth. I want to follow Jesus. In fact, if you're not on the side of truth, you can't follow Jesus. God enables us to be on the side of truth that we might follow him. This is a great work of God. This is God work. Jesus, who came to save his people from their sins. Emmanuel, God with us. This is what Christmas is all about. He came to testify to the truth, and everyone on the side of truth listens to Jesus. Let's bow our heads together. Just uh, before I may offer our concluding prayer this morning, uh, I wonder if there's anyone out here in, in the audience who would say, I have never heard that before. I, I've kind of had a, a belief in God, but, but I've never really understood that that my access to God the Father is through Jesus Christ. He brings God's version of truth. And, and I want to have that in my life. If there's anyone out here this morning say, I, I want to listen to Jesus. I just didn't know that. But today I want my life to be in that direction. Would you just slip up your hand so I can pray for you? Nobody's looking around. Is there anybody here? I'd hate for someone in this room to have heard this truth and to pass on it which is to pass on eternal life, to pass on abundant life now. Anybody here who's in that situation, just slip up your hand. Or maybe, maybe you would say, Pastor, you know, I, I am on the side of truth, but I haven't been listening to Jesus very much lately. I've been going my own way, and this has confronted me with that reality that, that everyone who's on the side of truth listens to Jesus, and I sure, that's the side I want to be on. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip up your hand. Nobody's looking around. Okay. All right. Anybody else? Okay. Our Father, we come before you with our hearts laid bare. There's nothing, there's, there's nothing that you can't see. You see everything. 
you know everything. Even if we didn't put up our hand, you know exactly what's going on in the truth of our heart because you are truth. And everything you do is truth. And so, our Father, I pray for those, if there's anyone here who has not received you by faith, that today the work of the Spirit of God would draw that heart to you. It would draw you to that heart, O oh God. And I pray, Father, for those who've placed their hands and said, I, I just haven't been listening to Jesus lately. And I haven't been living in the truth. And Lord, by the power of your spirit today, would you draw me back to a new passion, a new commitment, a new boldness, a new courage to live by the truth, even if it hurts, even if it's inconvenient, oh God. Because I need security back in my life that, that you and I are in good space together. Oh, Father, I pray this morning. Christmas is a great time. This end of the year and start of a new year just to, to get right with God. Oh, Father, Thank you for those honest hearts out there this morning that would say, please, Lord Jesus, I don't want to be a pretender. I don't want to drive by, look at the manger. I want to look deep into the eyes and the heart of the glory of God and what he can do in my life today. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.